Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast, where we look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm Fraser McGrew and I'm here with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. And this week we're discussing which is better, schedule or schedule. Okay, so I want to start us off on this. So something that annoys me a bit is that, um, and let's be clear, our podcasts are not necessarily about what's annoying us this week. Um, but nonetheless, what's annoying me... Maybe we should have a regular spot for that. Maybe we should have a regular... Every every month we have the, the moany old man spot. <laughs> it's, no, that is what we have already. Yeah. Anyway, carry on. They tend to be more than one spot. But should, yeah, anyway. Okay. Yeah, no, what, well, annoys... what I'm saying is maybe we should limit it to one, one a month. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, what annoys me is the increasing prevalence of, of, of English people saying schedule. The prevalence. The prevalence. The prevalence of people saying schedule. The prevalence. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll get you a dictionary and you can have a look. Right. Um, yeah, it's, it's well, look, obviously in the UK, as, um, as elsewhere around the world, we, we're culturally expo- exposed to a lot of Americanisms. And an Americanism or, 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 or a pronunciation is schedule, right? Um, and it just annoys me that in the UK, we've sort of forgotten how to say it, how we used to say it, which is schedule. Um, and more and more we're saying schedule. Well, who's to say it's not better? And that is the question. Um, and on the subject of things that annoy me, like H really annoys me. I'm sure that more people in the UK now say H of a certain age, let's say, say H rather than H. And I've always dreaded working somewhere, which was a company that might be an, um, an acronym or no, not an acronym, but having the initials H. See, I nearly did it there. And sure enough, I worked with someone once and I worked alongside him when I was freelancing and he worked for HNE Media. And it that... actually, it genuinely baffles me. I mean, there's no, uh, there's there's absolutely no controversy about this or controversy, which is, <laughs> who knows? Um, that's another one, a bit like Harris versus Harass, which is, which is I think, people who are very attached to, to the way that they learned originally get upset about. Um, but yes, it it does baffle me this this H thing. I mean, just because the letter is H, doesn't mean that it has to start with an H sound. We don't call it Wobble U, do we? It's yeah. not Wobble U, it's W. It starts with a D. <laughs> it's insane the yeah. idea that you have to stick an H on it just because it's actually referring to an H. Yeah, absolutely. But I guess going back to the original example, there's the one of the sort of um, one of the things here is is there's a cultural element, there's a, another country involved, and, and that can be very emotive for people, as in as indeed it is for me, evidenced by this. Um, so, yeah, no, what's our question? Yeah, I, can one dialect, can one language, one version of a language, which I guess is a dialect, uh, be better than another? What's the answer? Um, statistically speaking, there's very little in it. I mean, so although I desperately want it to be the case that you can prove that you know there is some languages are better than others and some dialects are better than others Des- you know it's kind of it's an urge that i have to prove that the way that i personally happen to speak is the best way in the world that anyone could speak um it turns out that uh, almost all attempts to sort of measure the data content of different languages whether you do it by you know character by character or word by word or sound by sound syllable by syllable um there's the information throughput of of almost every language is the same it's definitely true in one one metric nick 
the amount that you like the sound of it. <laughs> yeah, well, I guess if we talk about accents as well then, because um, there are some regional accents in the UK which I really like. Um, for example, Northern Irish, even this, Belfast, quite hard. I, I like that. Northern Irish, Irish I like. Um, I really like Geordie. Um, well, I think now, cetera, you're talk, you're, now you're talking about preference versus betterness versus yeah well i'm happy to yeah, talk but, about but preference a lot of people think a lot of people will tell you you know that the way that cockneys speak is well there aren't any cockneys anymore but you know or let's say multicultural london sort of dialect the way that people uh who speak like that talk is lazy or worse or conveys less information or is sloppy in some way and um and that just is not true. I mean, much as I want it to be true, it isn't. No, but I, I, right. I don't think that. Um, but I still have a strong feeling about it. I still have a strong opinion about it. And for me, it's an aesthetic thing. And so let's say Essex, English, and I live pretty much in Essex. And I hear it on the train every bloody morning. And it's so twangy. And it just makes the people just sound really superficial and thick. And I in just... Your, in your mind. Yeah, yeah. But is that so? They I might guess hear you speak and think, well, you sound really kind of this erudite, and you're, this you're, erudite you're a young, bit of a posh twang. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but um, yeah, no. So look, what's the question? What's what are we what are we getting? Why are people so territorial? Why are we so? Why am I so territorial and tribal? Yeah. Um, I guess we're talking about language, but it can be expanded to other things. Yeah, I, actually, and I think partly uh, the question is why it is that we feel like these things are external characteristics. Why, why we think this is not just subjective. People really do think that there are objective features of language. Oh, you know, scousers, they're so nasal. Uh, you know, it's like people think, well, there's things that are objectively true that you can, um, that you can point to and say this is worse than the way that I, I happen personally to do it. So let's put it in another way. Is there, let's say there was a language out there that we didn't understand, of which I'm sure there are many. Is, is, I wonder if we could find a language that if you if you if you if you played an audio recording of that language to um, a good sample of people around the world, let's say, and none of them understood that language, and they all went, "Oh, that's nice," or "That's horrible," mm. like people generally do with German. No one likes German. That's that's something that people say, and I and I, well, as Peter was saying, preferences are, are slightly slightly different, like objective measures of quality uh does it contain more information or not is one thing but when it comes to preferences there are there is there is convergence actually people do like people do all always rate german people who don't understand german rate it as not a very nice sounding language and let's say you didn't know it was german right even yeah. it's one so thing just not as a set of sounds yeah, yeah. and i i mean i you you said preferences i'm talking about aesthetics i don't know if we're talking about the same, same thing. thing yeah or, or I lead, am I leading us down the sort of a, a cul-de-sac with that? Well, let, let's close off a part of it then. Let's 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 explore the difference between preference and objective betterness, so some sort of quality. Um, so, so betterness. So, so in order for something to be objectively better than one thing or another, um, you have to be able to measure it and 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 demonstrate it to be. Have some dimension of better of, of being good, more good than another thing, and there is no sort of uh, inherent measurable quality of a thing. You have to; it has to be grounded on some sort of practical dimension. So, in language, we might talk about. So, written language, you might think about: well, how many 
how easy is it to learn? That might be a measure of betterness. So you might say that English is quite complicated to learn, but maybe Chinese is more difficult to learn. So somebody who doesn't speak either of those two languages, they might pick up English slightly quicker than Chinese. Maybe. Maybe. I think there's no... Um, I mean, but then, I think, but, they, but, they, but, they, but they, so in contrast to something like Esperanto, which is an engineered language and very few people speak or write it, that, that I, I've, got some, I've got a bit of a soft spot for Esperanto. I don't speak it, but um, I'd like to. And I know it, it, I, I could because it's designed so you can pick up the basic syntax and grammar in an afternoon reading four pages in, in the sort of how to speak Esperanto. And then all it becomes is learning vocabulary. So it becomes learning new words for things. Whereas if you learn a foreign language, like as an English speaker, if you learn German or French or Chinese, then you have completely different grammar and syntax and vocabulary to learn. It's a much more complicated process of learning it. So in terms of betterness in that sense, you can rate things. You can yeah, rank so, things. sorry, just gender. That's mental. What the, what's the point of that? I remember my first French lesson um, when we were told that it was like, you know, le chat whatever and la chienne or whichever way round it is and you know after we whatever whatever way round it is mm. and you you know we learned all of the genders of these kind of 20 basic first your first my first french nouns and um and i said well how do you know uh which it is what's the rule and he said well you just have to learn i thought no it's ridiculous i can't be bothered that's like you've got to learn the whole language twice you've got to learn the word and then you've got to learn the gender it's insane yeah carry on peter well well maybe the maybe the kind of um the uh the this drive for women's rights and equality between sexes might destroy gender maybe languages will be deliberately re-engineered to eliminate language because it's discriminatory who knows um but you know I, I, so i think so that's one dimension of betterness it's like how easy it is to learn um but then you might also say well okay if we take written language how much um, what's the information density of written language? That might be something you're you're concerned about if you're if you're um, if you're uh, transmitting information in written text. Then it might be in certain circumstances it might be preferential to 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 convert it into one form or another. So you, so, but it's always bound by a practical consideration as to why something's better than something else. And that's that's the as close as we can get to measuring quality. Quality is this undefinable thing. You have to bound it by something in order to measure it. I mean, I think the my first instinct is easy to learn must contradict information content, in the sense that you know a high information content language um, is one where you know every word does a lot of work. Um, you know it. it, it, it you you don't need lots and lots of words for context because you have it's a bit like having you know you imagine having a having 500 letters in your alphabet you know where each letter does is contains a lot of sound um you know versus having very few letters in your alphabet and needing more of them my instinct my first instinct is well it doesn't matter there's no way around the fact that there's a certain amount of information it just you know you've got to get it over However, having said that, I think th thinking about what Peter said about learning a language, that, that a language which is fairly rules driven rather than which is, you know, has got lots and lots of exceptions. So if we and if we get, you know, to older language, I mean, you take a, um, you know, a language uh, like English where we have a lot of um, 
a lot of uh, verbs which conjugate in weird ways you know like i swim and you swum and and that's not you know that's not a kind of that's an unconventional only applies to a very small number of of words uh well it it would be better if they weren't there you know it'd be better if we didn't have those weird exceptions it would certainly be easier to learn and we wouldn't lose information content hmm. so um yeah we have an unnecessary you know, so i think there we is have an unnecessarily an... complicated uh, symbol set essentially and, and i guess that's the equivalent of genders you know it's like we've got instead of having a bunch of genders to learn we have a bunch of weird uh endings to learn you know that's to, quite a to, functional view of language though because for example well it, it is what it is language well, is a tool well, for communication no, right? but i mean a french person i'm sure would say is that he would f or she would find you know english art so clunky and clumsy and it loses its finesse um, in having a gender and that brings a sort of a richness, a colourfulness to yeah, it. That's probably how it feels if you have gender. Yeah. It's like it's how do you, how can you possibly manage without this really vital part of the language? <laughs> and there and there, there <laughs> are probably there are probably sort of interesting witty word plays you can do with gender that you just can't do in languages that don't have it. There's something else actually is I remember once saying to my wife who's Brazilian, is the um doing rhyming poetry. Um, in Portuguese is well, it's just kind of not worth it it's just too easy because of the way that verbs conjugate for example it's, it's, it's you know necessarily they have all the same um, what's the opposite of prefix suffix suffix um, and, and so you can ah, just okay. rhyme really easily and she said well actually that's the point because you, you yes you could do that but you know quality poetry doesn't and you have right, to so, sort so of force you to be creative some other thing yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I mean I, so um that's actually, that's an interesting point actually. Occasionally on radio for comedies or TV comedies, people are berating some piece of like high school poetry, which is just crude rhymes and crude crude rhythm. I can't often tell the difference between bad poetry and good poetry because, to be honest, a lot of good poetry is just clumsy rhymes in my opinion mm. i don't like i i'm this it's a deficiency Thank goodness we're not we're not trying to be a literary podcast yeah that's <laughs> just but i just i it's like, I, it's like <laughs> okay, so, just clumsy I, saw, I, maybe, maybe, I don't know maybe i'm just being maybe i'm I don't know. but it's like well he's written a poem well fair not fair enough um my name is ozymandias king of kings i really love these shiny things yeah that sort of thing <laughs> what's wrong okay so what's wrong with it nothing he had a go yeah, but um okay. why is that any better than what what makes good what, what's the quality thing in good poetry it's totally elusive to me i don't i don't get it fair enough maybe it might be the rarity and the skill in being able to do that you know like a really good computer programmer is valued because i mean i think we're probably it. we're going in this direction of how we judge the quality of writing yeah. and, and and i think that's a, and that's I, a different I, podcast yeah. I, I, maybe and maybe i can't spot it because i have a very functional view of what language is about so talking of being functional let's move it beyond language what what other things can we expand expand this into can the same rules or lack of rules um or judgments apply elsewhere um beyond language I'm trying to steer us onto things like where we've well, talked about. Well, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm not, I'm, I'm not really ready to leave language because, I mean, in particular, I don't think we've covered this issue of territorialism. Go on then. Okay, well, accepting uh, for a minute that there's very little to choose in terms of functionality between languages. Um, why it is people get so worked up about threats to what they see as their language, you know. It's a bit like someone, you know, when someone starts saying schedule instead of schedule. Yeah, it's a bit, like, it's a bit like someone took over your local pub and, and took out all the nice old furniture and replaced it with some, you know, gaudy modern plastic thing. You don't like it for that reason. It feels like it's incredible. And I, but I think um, one thing to bear in mind 
That's why language is so important in all kinds of signaling. Uh, you, you know, in other words, it's sort of we use we use the word language that someone speaks as for an identifier, certainly for where they, you know, for their geographical origins and so on, but also for their class, you know, for their level of education and all of these sorts of things. It's extremely useful language for telling you about someone. Um, is because it's very hard to fake. You know, when we've talked about signaling, which we do a lot, the, the, the key characteristics of a good signal is that it has to be costly for someone to fake um, if, they're, if they're giving off a false signal. So if you want to look educated um, and you decide to do that by learning lots of long words, it's going to be hard for you to do that and to pull it off. Whereas if you're, uh, you know, and it's like guys, if you're trying to pretend you're Irish and you're not, it's going to be very hard for you to pull yeah. that off. Like, yeah, likewise, you've so, got, if you've got a well-to-do accent and you want to fit in in an Essex pub, that's going to be a lot of work unless you practice it uh, pulling off an Essex accent. Well, if you, yeah. I mean, so the thing is that, you know, it, it's very good uh, signal. And as a result, people are possessive of it because it's valuable. It's a valuable thing for you to have for your, your particular use of language is, is valuable, socially valuable and you don't like it being diluted. That's Anyway, that's my sort of theory for, uh, for, for why we get so possessive, so uh, apparently weirdly possessive about, um, about you know, the words that we're using and the pronunciation we use, mm. which really is neither here nor there. Mm. Um, you know the original word shibboleth? Yeah. What a shibboleth is? I do because you guys taught it to me in a podcast once. Yeah, okay, right. So I mean basically it's a thing which you do which marks you out as definitely one sort of type or another. Um and it comes from uh you know, from a, some story in the Bible where in order to show that you were of a particular tribe you had to pronounce a word that only they could pronounce in that particular way. Um so yeah. But you wouldn't be so but here, here's an interesting thing. You wouldn't so if you met a fellow Brit and they said, "Oh, I'm staying, I'm staying at such and such. Uh, it's it's a hotel, mm. uh, and I've scheduled in a meeting in the morning," you would take offence to that. No, he likes schedule. He doesn't. Uh, like okay, so sorry. Yeah, and I've scheduled in the meeting in the morning. You, you, you. That would, would. I wouldn't take offence, but I would notice. It would. It would kind of grate with you slightly. Yeah. On a very small scale. But yeah. if then somebody, a, 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 an associate from America or Pakistan came along and used their version of English that they've learned, which is probably Ameri- which is going to be American English, they said the same things, you would probably, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't... You wouldn't I'd be a little bit more forgiving. Be more forgiving. Actually, my anger would still be directed at the United States cultural imperialist complex. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what's interesting, you said if they were staying at a hotel. Yeah, a deliberate mistake. Right, okay. Yeah, yes. Um, yeah, a, a hotel, an hotel. I, you know, I'm not fussed too much about that. Um, you can't say an hotel, you have to say an hotel. An hotel, yeah. No, no but... H in an hotel. Anyway, what's the. So, yeah, so you would. You, you would you, you would hold these other people at the highest... You hold these Brits at the highest standard. Yeah, this is to do with outgroups, yeah. though, isn't it? This is because it's such a good outgroup marker, your language, you know, that actually your outgroup isn't someone a long way away. Your outgroup is someone very like you, but slightly different. And so it makes sense that you should be angry and see... You know, it's like you get... you. It, it's a bit like, let's say you're, a, you know, you're left-wing and you meet a British right-winger you're going to feel more antagonistic towards them than you would, say, a Japanese right-winger. 
just not see them as a threat to your in-group. And I think that's that's probably the issue here. You know, mm. someone who is very like you but pronounces <laughs> schedule wrongly is a massive threat to you and your family, and so you have to take against them. Yeah, in a way that you wouldn't with a foreigner. And by the way, as an aside, I'm not mad about people who call me Fraser either. That that's starting to get into other territory there. But um, okay, look, where do we go with this? I mean, we we need to finish shortly. Um, yeah, no, we do. Um, something I want to talk about briefly. I don't know if it's a question. So I want to talk about um, Jabberwocky. Okay. Yeah. So it was uh, brillig, and the slithy toves did gyre and gimble in the wave. Um, which was a poem contained within uh, is it um, Alice in Wonderland? Alice through the Looking Glass, whatever it was. Yeah. Um, are you aware that there are translations of Jabberwocky? Yeah. Have you... Okay, because one of the things this makes me think about was I was just, um, in classic British style, slagging off Germans and the German language. Um, I remember a Germ- I, I, when I was a teacher, just for laughs, I printed off different versions of, 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 the, of the poem in the languages of the people who I had in my class. It was a mixed um, language class. And when the German, I think she's Austrian actually, when she read out the poem in German, it was just, we were all sort of standing back. Oh, that was beautiful. And it was the most beautiful German I'd ever heard. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's a comment, a question, anything to say about that? I don't know. And, you know, and I've, I've heard it in Portuguese. I've heard it in Italian. I've heard it in French. And uh, it's, it's, yeah, I don't know. There was definitely an interesting challenge there in, in translating meaningless words into other meaningless words. Well, although it's not it's not fair to say that they're meaningless. Um, in the you know, if you take something like uh, slithy, is clearly related to. It sounds like slithe, slimy, and it sounds like slithery. Um, you know, yeah, it's it's invocative of a of an emotion of a, yeah, yeah. So so I feel like you know you just every language is going to have words like mm. that which you can mash together yeah. and create the equivalent of slidey i don't um it seems like it's an impossible challenge but actually i think it probably isn't yeah i i i i had i have a friend who translates as a sort of job on the side between french and english she's an excellent speaker of both and uh she relishes the chance of being able to make up those kind of words where there isn't a word there's some sort of idiom or some sort of word somebody's made up in that language or some sort of accident, interesting kind of accidental per, uh, vernacular speech that they've used, and she has to decide how that would look in the other language, uh, and she relishes that challenge. As a, that's as, the art of it, as isn't a, it? As a, being, that's really being a creative thing, because otherwise translation is quite functional. Mm. She relishes that sort of opportunity to, to add her own creativity into into yeah. the work. Uh, and actually, I recall now that sort of true to type. When I did hand out these poems, I think the person, the, it was the Austrian girl who was actually quite resistant to the whole idea of it at first, just saying, well, this isn't German. This isn't proper German, um, before I'd sort of explain what it was all about. Anyway, um, I think we should stop there, yeah? Um, so, yeah, you've been listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast with myself, Fraser McGrew, with Peter Coghill and Nick Hare of Aleph Insights. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, and until next time, Auf Wiedersehen. Mm-hmm.